Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you. Word of the day for August 5th, 2021 is thank you. From the bottom of my heart, social media is an interesting place. And having a show where you talk to a camera with no studio audience, it's hard to get feedback. You don't know what's funny, what's not, what's interesting, what's not. Definitely count on Coca to tell me what is working and what's not in the show, what topics make sense, what don't, when I'm going too long, too short, too sideways. Sometimes he can't help how sideways I go because that's the nature of the live to tape uh, nothing personal where we give you 45 minutes. We don't edit it. We don't spend a lot of time hiding the warts or the emotion or the mistakes. We correct corrections when you give them to us or when Coca gives them to me. But social media as part of what we do is we're trying to expand our reach. We want more people to listen to nothing personal selfishly because it helps the show, but also because we feel as though sometimes we're talking about things that are helpful for people to listen to and can help form their own opinions about certain topics. While the show is called Nothing Personal, and that name came from Coca, sometimes it is personal. And yesterday, the beginning of the show was very personal, talking about my sister and her passing. And as I, when I'm finished with this show, I'm headed to her funeral And people are wondering, some people wondered why I was continuing to do shows during this time. Why not take a break? And I am going to take a break uh, coming up here soon because we've been coming to you every day for a long, long time. But I want to say thank you because you get into my DMs. I'm very open. My DMs are open at David P. Sampson and you talk to me. And some people are um, are helped by by me talking about my sister or my thoughts on certain subjects. Some people, it hurts to talk about subjects and I'm okay with that because progress hurts. Any progress hurts. And if you don't want to hurt, you are simply going to be stagnant. And that goes for you in your business, in your personal life, in your professional life. If you don't like feeling uncomfortable, you will not advance. You will not make progress. If you don't like digging into why you do the things you do or feel the things you feel, You will become robotic. And I would know because that's how I have been for so, so long that sometimes things strike me uh, emotionally and strike hard. And losing a sibling is something I'd never had happen to me. And I don't wish it on anybody. Uh, It is, it's been sad and unpleasant, but the, the messages from people are uplifting, not just the messages of condolence, which I appreciate. I will, you know, I'm a responder on on my DMs. I try as hard as I can. I'm way behind. I want to give a blanket thank you, but I want you to know that I will read every single one. And people talk about ratios on social media. I want to thank you for the hundreds and hundreds of positive comments. There were two negative comments that I've always, one of the things that I have to unpack 
is why my memory is such that I remember bad things about my life and childhood as opposed to good things. And when you only remember bad things, you tend to think that all of it was bad or that an experience was all bad because you don't remember when things were positive. And interestingly enough, the two things that I remember reading yesterday were both negative. Someone said to me, my condolences, can I have $10,000? I wasn't sure what that was about. Maybe someone thought that I would be so stricken with grief that I would not even think twice about that. And it wasn't for charity because you know I would do it for charity. And one person said, I hope that this loss torments you forever. I don't quite understand why someone would write that. I understand that people may not enjoy my voice, enjoy what I have to say. People may not enjoy what I did as president of the Marlins or with the Expos. People may be emotionally scarred from things that I did to their sports team. But I didn't know this person. This wasn't a relative or a friend who said that to me. And I just don't understand why people would say that. And of course, Coca didn't want me to talk about it. He said, why would you even give that person any sort of platform? Well, I'm not mentioning the name. I'm just asking in general for, for the person who did it, what is it about you that causes you to want to say that to someone? We're going to do a segment later in the show about behavior and what's going on on airplanes and in stadiums right now and why there is why people are acting the way they're acting. I understand economic frustration. While uh, you may say that I my level of privilege would mean that I don't, uh, I have been working since I started in college and uh, working to spend money on things I wanted to buy and working to make money on things I wanted to buy. And I understand if they're economic issues or social issues or mental health issues. And so what I'm going to do is assume that the person who said that is just sick. And so my wish for that person and I will say it here on this platform, is I hope that you get help and get better because you deserve to be better because whatever makes you say that and want me to live in torment and have myself torn up forever, I wouldn't wish that on anyone the way I feel right now and the emptiness and, that I feel and the sadness. And it's one of those things where you can forget about it if you get distracted watching a movie or distracted doing a show, but then it creeps back in and I'm in day two of that. And I have a feeling this will be thousands and thousands of days of those moments where life goes on, the show must go on. But then you think to yourself, wow, I'm not distracted. And I really wish that I could call her or anyone you've lost. It actually happened talking to the rabbi in preparation for the funeral, and which is what you do when you talk about things. And he asked me a question and I said, you know, hold on, I need to run that by Nancy. I actually said that that struck me yesterday because that's what siblings are for. So thank you again for reaching out. You may not realize it because you think I'm a robot, but I'm not. And I do appreciate that. Waiting till next year is something that sports fans do. Every sports fan has to do that. It strikes me. Uh, Jeff Probst, the host of Survivor, when after Survivor 28, we went back to the reunion. I was the first boot. And there's a reunion finale where they announced the winner, which happened to have been Tony Vlacos in Survivor Cagayan. And they sit you in the order that you were voted off. So I was sitting in the back row left, which is where the first boot sits. And then you sit in order. And I was asked a question on the reunion about how I felt about being first boot. And I remember my answer very clearly, which was, there was no difference between first boot and finishing in second place in the final jury because there's one winner and there's 17 losers. 
it doesn't matter to me. It never mattered to me running a baseball team. Hey, you lost 100 games or hey, you lost in the World Series. My goal was to win the World Series. That was it. And so when you fall short of that goal, you have no choice but to say, wait till next year. And so what I would like to tell you is that waiting till next year is something that everybody has to do except one team. 29 teams wait till next year in Major League Baseball, 31 teams in, in football. They're all doing the same thing because they judge themselves on Super Bowls or NBA championships or World Series. And one of the great things about waiting till next year, there's a huge release in football when the schedule is released, when opponents are released, and then the days and the times. It's a whole thing, all because fans are all in the process of waiting till next year. And it is one of the great misnomers in all of the world. And I don't think that's hyperbole because I'm not waiting till next year. That to me is 12 months. People say waiting till next year. Well, calendar year, if it's December 20th, hey, let's wait till next year. That could be waiting 10 days. I guess you could say that. But in sports, where we say next season, next year, he's going to be back next year. Spring training, we are now in August. Spring training starts September, October, November, December, January, February. We are six months away from spring training of next season, and we're not even into the playoffs yet. But what we do in baseball, that's a dollar coca, what they do in baseball that I was a part of 18 times is the schedule for next season gets released in August of the season before. But that's not the first time that executives see the schedule. We get a draft of the schedule in June. And then we go through and we see who our opponents are and we count who we're playing on the weekends. And then we start doing pro forma budgets for next season, what attendance will be for certain games. And that is the beginning of the budget process for figuring out what your payroll can be the following season based on this year's attendance, this year's trends and opponents and who's coming to games, what day of the week. And we call up baseball once we get the schedule and we say we'd like to have the Cubs for a weekend instead of the Braves because they draw better. We want to have a off day this day and we want a better time for the game in Los Angeles because we have the following game in Florida. So we don't want to fly overnight. So what you do is when you get a draft of a schedule, you have to give your comments and then they do a league wide call of 30 schedule people who are the people we put in charge of the schedule it was not me. I assigned someone named Claude actually to the schedule and he would get on a conference call and there would be this amazing trading that goes on. And so a team would say, Hey, Miami, right now we're scheduled for a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Could you please change it to a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll all have off Thursday instead of Monday, because then we can have our off day at home because we're leaving from Miami to go home. And instead of having an off day in Miami, we'd on Monday, we'd rather have an off day at home on Thursday. And we would always say, okay, but then when we come to you, we want an afternoon game on getaway day, even though it's during the week. And then Teams would say, no, we don't want to do that. And we'd say, fine, then we're not going to change. It was so petty. And so what we did, we actually had an abacus. We would keep track of who would play ball with us and who wouldn't. 
The San Francisco Giants were famous for not being cooperative. The St. Louis Cardinals were famous for not being cooperative because they were dealing with Tony La Russa. I assume the White Sox these days are not cooperative because he was very clear in the schedule of what he wanted and never wanted to waver. So we would keep track of which teams have done us solids, which teams we've done solids, and we would want equality in solid granting. And so the schedule comes out. The most interesting part is your opponents for interleague. I think next year, the NL East is playing the AL West. And so we'd want to make sure that we have the better AL West draws coming to us at home. Like when you're playing the AL East, you always want the Yankees and Red Sox, but everybody wants the Yankees and Red Sox interleague. And so obviously not everyone can have that. And so you end up just going back and forth uh, trading, but what you can't trade is which division you play. So like the AL East is playing the NL Central. So if you are the Brewers, you want the Yankees and Red Sox to come to town, but sometimes they don't. But you know the next time you play the AL East in Interleague, you will get the Yankees and Red Sox. Sometimes you get the Yankees or the Red Sox. And so it really is just about money, all of the trades that take place. And I always found it to be interesting to me personally because I wasn't sure when I started in baseball what level of petty people were. And I waited and then I saw, and then I realized that I could be as petty as I wanted. Sometimes I would involve the general manager in this process because I wanted to hear from a baseball standpoint, what would be easier? Where would the players like the off days? Occasionally I would talk to the players. I never liked talking to players about next year's schedule because we didn't know which players would be on the team next year, but even players on long-term deals, we would occasionally talk to thinking we're not going to trade that guy. And sometimes we would anyway, and say, Hey, what are your favorite off day cities? And they'd say, don't give me an off day in Milwaukee as an example, which offended me because I love off days in Milwaukee or St. Louis. And I love off days in St. Louis who wouldn't want to be in St. Louis on an off day. There's so much to do. And so players would do it according to their families. And we'd have certain players who would say, I want more off days at home. I don't want to travel on an off day because I want to have that day with my family. Other players would say, I want to travel after a game so we can get an off day in New York or in LA. But the people with kids, the players would say, no, let's travel the, the day after the game on the off day, which ruins the off day because you have to be at the airport at 4 p.m., let's say on your off day, so you lose your off day. So we would juggle all these things and every team does it differently. I tended to uh, want to have fewer nights in a hotel because if you leave right after a game and go on the road for an off day, you have an extra night in a hotel that night and that's paid for by the team. And those budget items do add up when you're trying to find places to cut to balance your budget. But if you leave and you have to pay per diem for every day you're on the road. If you leave the next day, which is a home off day, then it's one fewer night on the road, one fewer day of, of per diems, et cetera. So there were all of these balancing acts and we would use the GM and players would try to go to the GM and try to get the GM to go to me. And then players would come to me and we would have the conversations and then the schedule gets finalized. And then once it's finalized, you release it. And you don't do a big release show. MLB always wanted to do it, but it just doesn't work. It's too hard to get people too excited about the MLB schedule. But there you have it. That is how schedules happen. And that is how we try to get our fans involved. Because when you get your schedule for next year, one of the things you do first is you start producing a magnetic schedule giveaway 
for the last game of the current season. So the last day of the season, we would give away a magnetic schedule of the schedule for next season. We would often not put players on the magnetic schedule because we weren't sure which players would be on the team necessarily. Or if we did put a player on the magnetic schedule, then by definition, we would put that player on the magnetic schedule. And there are certain things that happen also with giveaways. So you start planning your bobblehead days because you have to order them far in advance. You start planning giveaways according to opponents. My view is I wanted to take a strong game and make it even stronger with a giveaway. So a game that we thought we'd draw 15 or 20,000 people, hard to imagine that's my view is strong, but it is. Maybe we can get an incremental 5,000 people on a giveaway because it's always easier than doing a giveaway on a crappy game midweek where you're gonna get 5,000 and try to put that five into 10. Normally it's not gonna happen. The other part of the giveaway of the schedule release is there is a questionnaire that comes out and the questionnaire is has questions about next year's schedule and what you want so for example do you want to host a game on july 4th do you want to host a game on memorial day or labor day do you want to start on the road or at home and we would always answer the questions irrelevantly because MLB would focus far more on bigger revenue teams where the difference in a holiday game versus a non-holiday game is a lot more money to the team than it would be for the Marlins. So we would never get our requests granted. But there are certain things that the baseball schedule tries to accomplish, which is, hey, not getting uh, it starting the season in cold weather spots. Like San Francisco is an example. They have started on the road, I want to say, for over 10 years. And the reason they start on the road is, have you ever been to San Francisco in April? It sort of stinks there, although ironically, the coldest winter I ever spent was the summer I spent in San Francisco. That is a very famous saying. There is no good weather ever in San Francisco, but they try to start at home for teams. Are the Marlins starting at home, Coca? Because most roof teams are going to start at home because you know those games will not be delayed. And... uh that is part of the factor in doing the schedule. But the number one thing when I got the schedule that I would always look at, yes, the Marlins are started at home four game series. My guess is against an NL East opponent, Coca. It's what? The Braves. There you go. So that that is a normal opening for uh, the Marlins. Not always, but normal. So the number one issue for all teams, what do you think it is? It is the end of season schedule. I wanted to always end at home and always end against NL East divisional opponents. Because if you are chasing a team like the Nationals or the Phillies or the Mets or anybody, the best way to chase them and catch them is to play them because every win against a team you are catching is a two game swing. So if you're down four games to the Mets and you're playing them four times to end the year, you get to say to yourself, hey, we only have to be within four games with four to go, and it's in our hands. All we have to do is sweep and we tie for the division. But if we're playing the Braves and the Mets are playing the Phillies, then we need help from the Phillies if we're trying to catch up four games from the Mets. So that is something that all teams want. But because of the unbalanced nature of the divisions, which is something that MLB wants to get rid of, they want to get balance in the divisions. They want to get to 32 teams, 16 in each league. And they want to do it in a way so that the end of season games are always important. Every series, 
but it doesn't really work that way. Like next year, the Dodgers get nine of their final 12 games at home. Coke is telling me he must be looking at the entire league schedule right now. That's great, Coke. Any other notes you want to get out there for the schedule for next year? Anything else before I move on to GMs? All right. No, thank you. That was good value added, though. So, folks, I didn't know the Giants were starting on the road for the 13th consecutive season. I didn't know the Marlins were playing the Braves, and I didn't know the Dodgers were opening nine of their final 12 have at home or closing. That is all Coca, all the time, and what he does during the course of a show. Now, he won't let me move on. I got you, Coca. We'll do it. The Angels start with 17 of their first 19 games against AL West teams. I hope that everyone is now full of information about next year's schedule. Super excited. Wait till next year. All right, so GMs are in a position where they have some input on schedule. If you have a team president willing to talk to them, GMs have some input on the baseball side. If you have owners willing and presidents willing to listen to them. And something came up yesterday that struck me quite significantly, which was Aaron Rodgers again was back in the media, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, obviously coming back. And he talked about his relationship with his GM. Remember that guy, Brian Gutekunst, who's the GM and the issues that, that Aaron Rodgers had. He met the media and he did that 32-minute press conference. And he said, I just want input. And I, I want to know that we're going to treat our veterans better and not trade them and understand how important character is in the clubhouse and blah, blah, blah. Aaron Rodgers then renegotiates a contract in order to have Green Bay have Rodgers, right? For Rodgers to show up, even though he had a guaranteed contract, even though Green Bay knew he wasn't going to retire, knew that there was nothing he could do, knew they weren't going to trade him. They still wanted to find a way to make him as happy as they possibly could. So they renegotiated the deal, which is going to make my way to see even more for sure from, I don't know when it was, that Aaron Rodgers will play for Green Bay in 21, but not 22. So they redid this deal. He's done after this year. No matter what Green Bay is telling you, no matter what Aaron Rodgers is telling you, this is his last year in Green Bay. So Aaron Rodgers meets the media and he says, you know, my relationship with my GM, it's a work in progress. And I thought to myself and I called up Coke and I said, a work in progress? What a bunch of horse hockey. He's not working on that. What does it matter? He's going to be gone. And then I thought deeper. What does it matter to any player what the relationship he has with his GM? I was thinking back to the hundreds and hundreds of players I had and thinking back to relationships they had with their GM, whether it was Jim Beatty or Larry Beinfest or Michael Hill or Dan Jennings, whoever it was. The relationship between a player and a GM is wholly irrelevant in every regard. Players don't play harder when they like their GM. They don't play less hard when they don't like their GM. Players don't get above market contracts because of their good relationship with their GM. They don't get below market contracts because of their bad relationship with the GM. GMs look at their relationship with players as a business relationship where it is necessary to coexist, understanding that players' jobs are to make as much money as they can and GMs' jobs are to win as many games as they can because that's how they can make the most money. Players can just play well on a crappy team and get paid. If not by the team they're on, then by the next team. GMs, if their team is crappy, they have a hard time keeping their job. 
right? That sort of makes sense. And so GMs don't spend one minute focused on working through the relationship, coexisting. You do that with your manager sometimes, though there are examples of managers and GMs who don't get along at all. And it really is something that can have an impact for the owner. So the owner will generally get rid of either the manager or the GM, make a choice because there is a power grab going on between the GM and the manager. And when you've got a power grab in your company, you have no choice but to choose a side. The employees have to choose a side and the supervisors have to choose a side when there are uh, uh, power sort of struggles. Hint, if there's a power struggle in your company right now, choose the person who's higher on the food chain because that's the person more likely to be kept. Choose the person who does a better job for the company. That's the person most likely to be kept. If the power struggle is between the owner and anyone, choose the owner because if you're on the wrong side of a power struggle, you will lose your job. And there are people who hide under their desk, sucking their thumb in the fetal position because they don't want to participate. But believe me, we're paying attention. We know who is with who. We know behind closed doors and in places where no one wants to talk about when there's gossiping going on by the water cooler and there's thoughts going on on email. By the way, we can see all of your emails because you are on our server. Don't think we're not looking at your emails because we do. It is a work email. That is our right. You know it when you get a, a Marlins email that your emails can be and are monitored. So that said, choose carefully. In the situation with Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't matter who he chooses, whether he wants to align with Mark Murphy or Brian Gutekunst or the chairman of the board, whoever, it does not matter. Aaron Rodgers' fate is sealed. In baseball, it is very rare for a player's fate to be sealed by his relationship with the general manager but it is not rare for a general manager's fate to be sealed by his relationship with his manager or with the owner. So it is interesting watching the power politics sort of un unravel because it happens and people always thought it's just baseball where this happens. And I point out, no, that's not true at all. It happens everywhere, every business, every time. Okay, when we come back, we're gonna review a movie with one of my favorite actresses that I, I watch because it's brand new. And then we're going to get to a, so you want to talk to Samson question about security that was very interesting to me. We will be right back here on Nothing Personal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for everything, for your support of Nothing Personal, for rating, reviewing. I think you follow on Spotify. You make us continue. We are continuing to be very highly ranked with all of the metrics that are used by people who are analytics people within CBS. And I appreciate that. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Spread the word. We, rec we, uh, we love coming to you every day for 45 minutes and we don't take your time for granted. There's gonna be, I'm, I'm gonna be taking a week off here soon and uh, there won't be nothing personal for a week coming up. 
I'll let you know the exact dates once I have them because I don't have them currently, but it is going to come up in August. Does that mean we're not going to break a record in August, Coca? We don't take days off because I've become addicted to the record breaking of more followers, more listeners, more subscribers, more more awards, all the stuff that at the end of the day doesn't mean anything other than you're putting yourself in a position to make money in free agency. I guess that matters then. All right. One of the things that I love about Nothing Personal is I watch movies every day, no matter what's going on during the day. If I have to stay up in the middle of the night, I do. And I watched a new movie on, I don't know where. It was likely Amazon Coca. It was called Jolt. J-O-L-T. It was on Amazon. Jolt stars Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale, I love her. I admit it. I've never, it's Beckinsale. <laughs> we better, we better do that again. Okay. 10, 40, 69. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We watch a movie every day. The movie of the day is on Amazon. It's called Jolt. Jolt stars Kate Beckinsale, who. I will always have a soft spot in my heart for two movies that she did that are amongst my favorites. One was with John Cusack called Serendipity. If you have not seen it, Jeremy Piven, the agent from Entourage is in it as well, as well as Tom Brady's ex-wife, Bridget Moynihan. It's called Serendipity, as well as an actress named, oh God, is it Molly Shannon, who now plays Jake Tracy's Mother in White Lotus. I believe that may be the actress who is in serendipity as well as Kate Beckinsale's friend. The other movie that she's in that is one of my favorites is called Click with Adam Sandler. One of the most underrated movies Adam Sandler's done. One of the most mismarketed movies Adam Sandler's ever done. But Kate Beckinsale became this like action woman. And she was in all these movies that I didn't want to watch and I'm blanking on what they are, but she was the, not a Marvel character, but she was part of a bunch of movies where she played this sort of badass. And I just didn't want to watch it because for me, I was more willing to watch Charlize Theron become that than I was Kate. Kate, But I was going to watch the movie anyway because I'll watch whatever she's in if it's reviewable. So Jolt is about a woman who's got anger issues and Stanley Tucci is her doctor. Stanley Tucci from Devil Wears Prada, Stanley Tucci from uh, uh, the movie where they're cooking. He's been in a bunch of movies. He's a brilliant actor. He's actually doing a uh, something on CNN during the pandemic, which, of course, I'm blanking on. But it's a good show on CNN where he's going around the world doing stuff. Unbelievable. I guess I'm not shocked that my brain is falling apart, but I just can't think of it. In any case, she has anger issues. And what they do is they jolt her. It's like... Uh, Jason Biggs in Saving Silverman, where Steve Zahn and Jack Black put uh, electrodes on his testicles and they buzz him or maybe on his nipples. I can't remember. And they buzz him. It must be on his nipples because I think they go on fire in Saving Silverman because he keeps talking about previous relationships when he's trying to go on another date when he's left Amanda Pete. Anyway, it's the same concept. When she feels like she's getting angry, she jolts herself. She carries a button. There are bad guys. There are people doing bad things to her. She is doing bad things to people. She basically kills everybody. It is a totally insane plot, totally ridiculous movie with these actors who are serious actors. I'm on a terrible stretch of movies. I reviewed a movie on Levitard today, Midnight in the Shadowgrass with Bruce Willis, which was another terrible movie. 
I need to watch something good today more than ever. Jolt, take a pass. All right, Coco, we had a good question from someone. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get into my Twitter and I will get through all the DMs that I've not gotten through regarding my sister and see the questions that you're asking. Here was a question that was just asked by a very loyal listener who may be from Wisconsin because it's Brewers related. What is the reason for this? What imminent threat is there that you must park a tactical vehicle on the grounds directly outside the exits with the cops standing there smiling while holding an automatic long gun in his hands, ready to go? And the business question, it's thought that this is in response to what happened in Washington, but as a former president, do you think having these displays in front of the entrances is a proper way to go about it, or is it a bit much? So I wanted to talk to you about stadium security. And as part of this conversation, I want to talk about some videos that are being posted, whether it's on TikTok or wherever you, you're getting your videos. What the hell's going on out there? What is it about people who feel they can behave in a physical way, physically punching people, yelling at people, assaulting people? And I don't mean those with mental illness on the streets. I'm talking about people who are on an airline, whether it's Frontier or whatever, who just start yelling, screaming, beating up people, and then have to get duct taped to seats. I'm talking about people in the stands where there are major fights. And you're going to tell me back in the 80s, there were fights at Yankee Stadium in the bleachers every day. And we've had fights at Marlins Park. I've seen fights. People get too drunk. And when they're drunk, they do things that they normally wouldn't do. My concern is that these fights more and more are being done by people who aren't drunk. And it is causing lots of surists for people like me who run teams or run companies. The discomfort that we feel as it relates to dealing with these stadium security issues is two levels. The first level is far less important, but equally as troubling. And that is when people are fighting in the stands. We've got regular security guards. Sometimes the police come over, but generally it's just your stadium security. They come over, they break up the fight, they eject the fan, they bring the fan down to the bowels of the stadium, sometimes to the holding cell. We'll generally just release the fan, not even charge them, let them go and say, hey, be better, please. If the fight is even worse and there are punches, there's a potential assault. We will talk to the victim, decide if there is a possibility of charges being filed and then decide whether or not a police will come and, and do a report. Sometimes the people who are punched want the police to come and we'll say it's okay. And other times it's so bad that we actually have to bring police into the stadium who are already in there, but bring them to that point. That is totally different than what's going on in Milwaukee and other stadiums. You heard me say it before on Nothing Personal. The best part of the All-Star Game in 2017 was when the last person left the ballpark at the end of the All-Star Game on Tuesday night in July of 2017, because that meant there was no terrorist attack and there was no mass event that would cause death or injury to our fans and to the other people there for the All-Star Game. Every single time, 81 games a year that I am responsible for, I am worried about that. That is my primary worry. 
I'm more worried about that than whether we win, whether players get injured, whether fans don't like the food, whether the hot dogs are cold, whether the lines are long, whether you're in the parking lot for 40 minutes trying to get out of the garage back on the 836. Whatever goes wrong in the operation of the game pales, absolutely pales in comparison to what could go wrong if security is breached and there is a mass terrorist or other such event. So after 9-11, there were a bunch of things that changed with security, including putting bollards up, which are these big concrete barriers that stop cars from accessing the stadium. You can't drive a car bomb into any stadium now, even into garages that are part of a stadium. We had a garage built inside the stadium. You have to have bollards there, like those big uh, uh, things that come out of the ground and stop a car from getting through and you've got security there and it's a much bigger expense and I would spend any amount of money to have any level of security. And there are people who've said to me exactly what you're asking me. They've said, isn't that a bad look to have someone with an automatic long gun or a tactical vehicle sitting there? Don't you think that makes people feel uncomfortable? And I would draw your attention to Israel where there are people walking around with machine guns in the course of a day because they are often under attack. And the question is, what do we do to protect our citizens? Or when you go to a European country and there are people guarding the palace or there are people guarding certain buildings who have machine guns, and that's just what it looks like. And it's happening more and more in the US. And I will tell you personally, my view, you know, my view of guns, but I am always uncomfortable because what if that soldier, that person's having a bad day, he's trained to be professional, but people snap. So I get concerned. A tactical vehicle is there because in case of a active shooter or in case of a riot or in case of anything that goes on, you want to be ready. And what happened in Washington where there was an active shooter and all that craziness with they kept people in the ballpark, then they let them go, but they couldn't leave at a certain exit. And it was total mayhem. The stadium security people would get together, team presidents got together after that and discussed what do we need to do to make sure that never happens again. We may not be able to control if someone wants to come here and be an active shooter, but we will be able to control our response. We will be able to stop it sooner. We will be able to stop people from accessing the ballpark. We are upping security. What's the cost of that? Here's the financial cost. I would rather get rid of five utility players and lower the payroll to make sure that people are safe, players and fans alike. But if people are uncomfortable and say, wow, this isn't a good look, the level of care I had with regard to those people is zero, right? It didn't matter to me what people thought, my God, this is way too much security. This is ridiculous. Thank you would be my response to that. Because given a choice of doing too much or too little, you sure as hell better do too much. To me, that was the easiest decision as a team president. I want the most security possible, and I will take money out of other parts of the budget to make sure there's the most security possible because I do not want to live through what I think about every day as my worst nightmare. So the business question is, do I think it impacts business? The answer is absolutely not. I appreciate the question. Keep going.
Nothing personal pick of the day. I knew the Astros were not going to sweep the Dodgers in a two-game series in LA, but I made the pick before the Astros won two days ago. Scherzer's debut went very well for the Dodgers. He struck out 10, gave up a home run, and the Dodgers did beat the Astros 7-5. to We are back to 101-88, and 13 over. I'm going to try to win my 102nd game. I'm loving Aaron Nola as a top of the rotation guy. Uh, he's still not an ace, but certainly a top of the rotation guy for the Phillies. I'm loving the fact that the Mets aren't winning, and therefore the Phillies and the Braves can smell it. Can you can you smell that? They can smell the NL least. It's totally up for grabs. The NL least is going to reward mediocrity. The Phillies are playing the Nationals, and they will win the game. The Nationals are becoming patsies at the moment because of what they did to their team, correctly so. But if the Phillies can't win a game with Nola on the mound against the Nationals, you might as well call up Joe, Bryce, and JT and say, hey, let's wait till next year. Pick of the day, Phillies over the Nats. All right, I'm going to spin my wheel, if you don't mind. I don't know how to do the sound of that, but pretend I'm spinning a roulette wheel. And you know, I love the green double zero. This may be the second show this week. I've brought up double zero on the roulette wheel and green and Robert Parrish and the chief, et cetera. Speaking of the chief, totally non sequitur. Congratulations to the USA basketball team. They're in the finals trying to win the gold medal. Kevin Durant is totally carrying that team. Drew Holiday is having a great series as well in Tokyo. And they're going to get to play France in the finals because Slovenia with Luca lost. Coca, that's Luca's first loss in international play, by the way. I think that's right. In any case, roulette wheel, double zero. Please help me, Coca. Where are we? Oh, got it. Thank you. Double zero, as in roulette, as in winnies, winners and losers. When people gamble, you either win or you lose. When you do my pick of the day, 101 times you've won, 88 times you've lost. We're still up because we take underdogs, we take favorites, but overall we're up. I read something that's going on in Jacksonville that blew my mind. Urban Meyer, the new coach. Urban Meyer, the guy who brought in Tim Tebow. Urban Meyer, the guy who's been given the keys to the castle. He is going to turn around Jacksonville. He's the one. They're not going to have to move to London. He knows how to put a team together. He knows how to coach a team, do the plays, do the personnel. He's ready. He announced yesterday that he does competitive games in training camp and then keeps track of who wins and who loses. And he's going to use that as a way to decide who makes his team. That may be worse than deciding who makes your team according to vaccinations or according to whether you get along with your GM or coach. They've got them doing drills and other such things. Maybe they're playing ping pong, Coca. Maybe they're playing darts. Hey, if you're good at darts, you're a winner. And that counts as a win. And if you win more than you lose, you may be our tight end. Hey, we're going to play pool. Who's good at pool? Get a Red Bull and vodka and we're going to play pool. You good? What about a blocking drill? We're going to call winners on a blocking drill when you're blocking each other or blocking the dummy or running a 40-yard dash or catching a ball or running your route properly. We're calling out winners and losers, and that is going to help us decide on our team. What? 
that may be the most asinine thing I've ever heard. That <clears throat> we do all sorts of games during spring training, all sorts of drills, all sorts of competitions. We do the March Madness bracket during spring training. Hey, we're going to decide if you're going to be the last bat off the bench. If you win the pool, you're in. By the way, we're going to put you on a backfield during the B game, doing live batting practice against a rehabbing pitcher. If you win the home run derby that we're doing against the other guy who's batting second in this simulated game, that counts as a win that will help decide whether you're going to make the team. We're going to do a competition among catchers, the number of people who can throw a ball to second base and hit a cup that is sitting on second base. If you win that drill, you have a better chance of making the team. That is not how we put teams together. We do not pay attention. Oh, God, he's four for seven in spring training against lefties. We're going to keep him on the bench to hit against lefties. Spring training is where people are getting ready. There are the occasional players, the occasional fringe players who can surprise you, not because of their results in spring training, but because of preparation, but because of need, the way you're putting the puzzle together of your team, the way CBS puts a cast together at HQ or reality TVs put a cast together of characters to be on the reality show. We are putting a cast together who will be a team. Is it a factor whether or not you can hit a cup on second base or win a game of darts or pool or ping pong or beer pong or Donkey Kong? No. We look at your salary. We look at your service time. We look at what we need and then we make the best decision we can. For an actual professional National Football League team to do this is beyond belief. And the Kool-Aid that is being drunk by Jaguars fans and by the owner of that team is staggering to me. And this is Urban Meyer right now who is handed as a college coach. What was it, Coca, a six-year deal or a five-year deal? Because he came out of retirement. This is the guy. Well, I got to wait to see for you, Coca. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But one thing we do do is revisit it. Urban Meyer is going to go the way of many of the new coaches who come into the NFL, who come with all sorts of pedigree and promise that they will be the one to turn around the team. Forget who we have playing where. Forget the fact that we've got Trevor and we're going to be number one. Urban Meyer will not survive more than three years in Jacksonville as that head coach because that act is going to get tired. And when it gets tired and the winning doesn't happen, then all of a sudden you switch courses and the great coach you brought in gets let go. Wait to see. Urban Meyer is not going to make it past year three. Well, that is our show. I cannot believe how quickly that one went today, at least for me. Hope it did for you. Thank you for giving me 45 minutes of your time and Coca too. And remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.